This week in Revolt Black News, the next four years of our country were on full display. From the RNC convention to the DNC's response, we saw where the politicians stand. But where does Black America stand in all of this? Now, we saw tragically that ongoing police brutality yet again devalued and dehumanized another Black life. Now, thank God Jacob Blake is still with us, but we know that's not what they intended. Now, listen, we all want justice, right? But we cannot expect Black lives to matter in this country if they don't even matter to some of our elected officials. So listen, if we truly want to make Black lives matter, then we have to vote for people that will change the laws to make Black lives matter. See, that's how we get justice. It's on us, actually. See, we're actually in a position of power here, y'all, so we have to exercise it. So I'm going to ask you this. On November 3rd, are you just going to sit around and say Black Lives Matter? Or are you going to actually vote and make it happen? Welcome to Revolt Black News. I'm your host, Ebony K. Williams. Now, as we're all aware, the biggest story of the week is unfortunately the same old story in this country. A brother named Jacob Blake, a 29-year-old black man, was shot in the back seven times by a police officer in front of his three kids. Now, many celebrities, athletes, and public figures have spoken out, so let's take a look at some of the support. Let's watch. They shot my son. Seven times. Seven times. I am the dream and the hope of the slave. I rise. I rise. I rise. We are calling for justice for Jacob Blake and demand the officers be held accountable. It is imperative for the Wisconsin State Legislature to reconvene after months of inaction. You know, having you know two boys of my own and me being an African-American in America and to see um, what continues to happen with the police brutality towards my kind, it's, just, it's very troubling. Uh, I didn't want to talk about it before the game because it's so hard, like, to just keep watching it. It's hard to tell your 14-year-old son that I worry about him when he walks out that door. I think it's for best for me to support the players and just not be here tonight. It happened to Emmett Till. Mm. Emmett Till is my family. Mm. Philando, Mike Brown, mm. Sandra, and I've shared tears for every single one of these people that it's happened to. This is nothing new. I'm not sad. I'm not sorry. I'm angry. I stopped crying years ago. I am numb. And now, helping us to discuss the ongoing police brutality and how it really reveals the importance and the urgency of us to create a black policy agenda, media personality, Van Lathan. Van, welcome to the show and thank you so much for your time. Thank you for having me, sister. Always a pleasure. Always. Um, so listen, Van, a lot of people really surprised, shocked even, at what happened to this brother in Wisconsin, frankly, because it comes on the, the heels of the killing of George Floyd, a summer of protests and what felt like revolution, unlike anything we'd ever seen in the country, yet here we are again. So Van, I'll ask you, were you shocked? Um, and really, what's your response to this moment in the wake of all that happened this summer? Uh, no, I wasn't shocked at all. But what we have to understand is that it's not necessarily even people that are broken. It's a system that's broken. So until we fix that system, until we fix those 
structures. We're going to be back here um, every so often, and it's going to be a way of life until we decide it's not. They say nothing changes um, because nothing changes. What do you want that change to look like? What do you think that change needs to look like for brothers and sisters to stop being shot and killed? People have to understand something. If a police officer comes out to a scene like the one in Kenosha, Wisconsin, the worst possible outcome is what happened to Jacob Blake. It's law and order. And when your edict is law and order, you're looking for a villain, a bad guy. And when you find that person, your goal is to neutralize them. That thinking and rewarding that thinking has to change. And it starts at the structural level with how we fund and uh, sort of, you know, assist police departments in what they're doing. Even if he was, as some reports are saying, he was reaching for a knife. We, we don't know all those facts yet. But even if so, why not shoot the brother in his leg? Why not shoot him in a place where you would just um, unable him to reach that weapon versus take his life, as you said. And, and thank God his life wasn't taken, but we know that wasn't the intention. When you sh shoot somebody in the back, you're trying to kill. And that's the thing, right, Van? I was talking to somebody in law enforcement, and that's what they told me that they are not trained to maim or to de-escalate. They are trained to shoot, to kill. So right now it says that any reasonable risk of harm would allow them to do that. That's, that's wide open. That means nothing. So we need to change that language, elevate that language, specify that language to an officer can only use deadly force when deemed legally necessary. But all of this comes to voting. So that's my next question to you, Van. We've got an election coming up and all the time people, uh, they know these elections matter, but they have a hard time seeing the concrete evidence, the concrete connective tissue between their vote and justice. Can you break that down for people, Van, as how casting their vote this November and in every election really makes a difference in getting that justice we seek? It's a difficult connection to make, to be quite frank with you. Um, listen, I think that the vote in November has to do more with a chance at justice than it does ensuring justice. But if we if we talk a real talk, and we're, this is revolt, so we're, this is a family discussion. We are talking real talk. Absolutely, right. this, it is, yeah. This, this is a family discussion. The answer to this problem, in a real way, is coordinated, loud, and aggressive civil disobedience. I mean, what the players in the NFL, in the NBA just did. The reason why that's the answer is in order to wake America up, you got to shake them. You have to disrupt them to get them awake. Disrupt. Biden-Harris do not guarantee shit. That's true. Biden-Harris represent, as you say, an opportunity for the possibility of change around some of these issues. But the U.S. Senate and the United States Congress, they are the lawmakers, right? Go back to George Floyd this summer, Van, and when everybody and their mama put up a police reform bill, we saw it from Kamala and Corey and the CBC and, and everybody and their mama and even Tim Scott had one. Nothing passed, nothing even moved because the votes weren't there when it comes to the Senate and the Congress. That is certainly within the power of your vote. But let's go to the black agenda. Van Lathan, what if you could get three things and only three things in terms of black policy that advances life for black people, what would they be? I think personally the police are beyond reform. I do. Number one, I believe in uh, divesting from police departments. When I say divesting, I mean you have in New York, for example, I think it's a $6 billion police budget, right? What defunding means is taking some of the $6 billion and reinvesting them. 
divesting back into communities to stop some of the problems root and stem. Number two. Number two. Um, uh, in my opinion, a Medicaid for all uh, to make sure that our women, black women, have healthy uh, and doctor-supervised pregnancies to cut down on infant mortality so that we're not losing people, not just to the police or the crime, but also to their own bodies. And number three for me would be uh, a combination um, of, of housing and universal basic income. Now, weeks back, final question, Van, you, along with over 100 other black men, signed a letter demanding, not asking, you demanded that Joe Biden appoint a black woman as his VP. Why was that important to you? And what do you think about Harris being the pick? Uh, two things. Number one, it showed that the, the Biden campaign was listening to what some of the demands of black people are going to be. And that's very important in exchanging your vote and giving your vote to someone. Secondly, it's important that black women lead. If we had 50 more Chisholms, 50 more Aunt Maxines, if we had more, more women, black women with their hand on the throttle, uh, this country would be a more better place to live. And it starts now. And as black men, more than anything, we have to be willing to get out of the way and put sisters on the pedestals that they need to be uh, to guide America into um, a sort of a new era. Listen, I love that you said that, Van, and I can tell you on behalf of black women, um, we reveal the, the leadership opportunity. You brought up black men, though, and there are some that are saying black men are starting to gravitate towards President Trump, and there is... Uh, there's the reality that 13% of black men voted for Trump in 2016. Uh, Van, last thoughts, what do you think about the relationship between black men and Donald Trump? I told Noah to build an ark, right? We're gonna save the world. God said, Noah, go build the ark, right? Noah goes out and he says, hey, we built the ark. Animals gonna come on the ark two by two. All the animals get on and then Noah preaches to man. And he says, hey, get on the ark, the flood's coming. Like we're all, we're gonna drown if you don't get on the ark and save yourselves. Something's not gonna get on it. They, I'm, it's That's too, it. Something's gonna get on it. Let them drown. Mm. So that 13%, after we done what, doing what we can do, they can go chill with the other half and, and serve biscuits and, and, and do all of that type of stuff. All right, Van, we're gonna leave that right there. Listen, brother, thank you for your time and your insight. We're gonna take a quick break. When we come back, we've got today's headlines. But first, with the recent events of Jacob Blake, we're reminded not only of the police brutality, but of the failure to find justice. So earlier this week, Until Freedom organized a multi-day event in Louisville calling for justice for Breonna Taylor. Let's take a look. show up for Brianna Taylor and her family, Brianna would be in New York. Brianna would be in Minneapolis. Brianna would be in New Jersey. Brianna would be you and me, and in fact, we are Brianna Taylor. It's not just a Louisville problem, it's a Kentucky problem. It's not just about you voting. It's your family. Yeah. Get the people around you. Take it. We don't do it for Brianna Taylor. It can't be done for anybody else. It may not be with ease, but I'm going to breathe better later. I'm going to breathe from my 
my brothers that lost breath. Welcome back to Revolt Black News. These are today's headlines. The U.S. Department of Justice has announced that it will open a federal civil rights investigation into the police shooting of Jacob Blake. Now, Blake was reportedly left paralyzed from the waist down. Let's take a look at the footage. And officials have identified Officer Rustin Shesky as the Kashona police officer who shot Blake seven times in the back in front of his three children. Now, Shesky has been placed on administrative leave while the FBI conducts its federal inquiry. Now listen, some folks out there are trying to justify this shooting because Mr. Blake did have an arrest record. Let me tell you this, I don't care what arrest record or even conviction record an individual has, it does not justify being shot in the back or anywhere else by law enforcement. That is simply a distracting tactic. 17-year-old Kyle Rittenhouse, he's been arrested for shooting two dead and leaving one wounded at a protest in Kenosha, Wisconsin, that followed the tragic shooting of Jacob Blake. Here's the footage. Oh, he got a gun! He got a gun! No! And in sports, the response to Jacob Blake's shooting began with a heartfelt message from L.A. Clippers head coach, Doc Rivers. Let's take a look. If, if you watch that video, you don't need to be black to be outraged. You, don't, you need to be American and outraged. And the Milwaukee Bucks were the first NBA team to take a stand when deciding to strike and sit out game five against the Orlando Magic. And then that prompted a postponement of all playoff games yesterday, including in the WNBA. Now, reports say that the Bucks players instead spent that time in their locker room trying to reach Wisconsin Attorney General Josh Call. Even Kenny Smith walked off the set of Inside the NBA in solidarity with the players. Let's take a look. I think it's for best for me to support the players and just not be here tonight. And figure out what happens after that. Yeah, I, I just don't feel equipped to do that. And I respect that. And in what could be the most substantial piece of NBA news, both the Lakers and Clippers have reportedly voted to strike the rest of the playoffs. Okay, now this all happened really late Wednesday night, and it's being reported that it was LeBron James that walked out of a meeting that was talking about the strike, and that only the Clippers and Lakers voted in favor of it. Now this morning, the NBA Board of Governors met, which may or may not change things by the time we air. Sources also say that LeBron is demanding more specific action from owners themselves. There was a lot of talk about voting and taking concrete action steps. Also important to note the WNBA, Major League Baseball, Major League Soccer, all postponing games as well. And also the highest paid woman in sports, Naomi Osako, striking, sitting out her semifinals match in protest. Hurricane Laura has ramped up in Louisiana and Texas, making landfall with high winds of 150 miles an hour. Now the storm landed at Category 4 and has since weakened to a Category 2. But still, everybody, this is nothing to play with. I survived Hurricane Katrina. This is real. So we want everybody in harm's way. If you can, please evacuate. Know that our hearts and prayers are with you. Um, if you can get out, please do. Everybody, take care of yourself. Take care of your neighbors. Shelter accordingly. And please, everybody, be safe. And tomorrow marks the 57th anniversary of the historic Civil Rights March on Washington. 
where, of course, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. gave his iconic I Have a Dream speech. Revolt will, of course, be airing in live, but we also want to shout out Reverend R. Sharpton and his National Action Network, who will also be broadcasting it. All right, that's it for today's headlines. Ahead, we've got two black Republicans with opposing views. Kimberly Klasick and Tara Suttmeyer are going to have an important debate about the RNC. We've got more Revolt Black news after this. All right, welcome back to Revolt Black News. Now, as we know, the DNC held their convention last week, so this week it's all about the RNC. So to help us break down the convention is Kimberly Clayson. Now, she's a Republican running for Elijah Cummings' old congressional seat. Also joining is CNN commentator and senior advisor for the Lincoln Project, Tara Setmeyer. Ladies, thank you and welcome to you both. Kim, I'm going to start with you. You are running uh, for United States Congress. Uh, You uh, have a viral video out that has over 10 million views. And in it, you walk the streets of Baltimore and you make the case that Baltimore is in deep devastation politically, economically, um, in terms of safety and everything, really, because of Democrat leadership. The worst place for a black person to live in America is a Democrat-controlled city. It's 2020. Name a blue city where black people's lives have gotten better. Try. I think that resonated with a lot of people. And I think uh, a lot of people, frankly, are very comfortable indicting the failures of the Democrat Party. I think where people get stuck is where Republicans have demonstrated a better alternative. So, Kimberly, I ask you, name a red or Democrat, excuse me, Republican controlled city or state where black life has improved. Where black life has improved? Oh, that's a good question. Where black life has improved. That's not something I've looked up. That's a great question. Yeah, I appreciate it. And, and, And I appreciate your honesty with that. Right. Because I think this is where this conversation really needs to go, frankly. I think for generations, we've all been in the business long enough to see different iterations of this right versus left, Republican versus Democrat conversation. It's not new, right? Uh, There might be new faces, but the rhetoric is is the same. I have been a proud independent, for instance, for 12, 13 years of of my voting life. And it's because I'm not complicit or uh, going to reward by default a a Democratic party that I don't necessarily think fully exercises and appreciates the black vote. Kimberly, I do want you to to spend some time with telling me where you see any evidence of the Republican Party making the case for black people. Well, um, so thank you for this question. But I actually Mm -hmm. talk about how the uh, Republican Party needs to do a better job at engaging inner cities. Um, That was one of my points in the speech. And it's like, look, I know for a fact I've been doing grassroots for my campaign for over a year now. And when I meet people in Baltimore City, I ask them, how can I get your vote? How can you vote for, how can mm-hmm. I get your vote for a Republican? And they tell me all the time, you're the first Republican I've ever met. And so there's a problem there. You know, the Republican Party has written off inner cities time and time again. They throw their hands up and says, oh, you know, well, we know they're going to vote down ballot. We know they're going to vote Democrat. So they don't even try. On both sides of the aisle, there's work that needs to be done. Okay. Tara, I want to come to you. You've been a a longtime member of the Republican Party and a a true conservative, even before Instagram and Facebook, right? Um, So I want to ask (laughs) you, (laughs) right, I want to ask you, uh, in this election cycle, you've really distanced yourself from the party and you are leading part of the leadership of the Lincoln Project. Tell me, why have you chosen to distance yourself from this Republican president, President Trump? I've been a conservative for my entire adult life. And what Donald Trump and Trumpism represents is not conservatism. It's an illiberal, 
populist, nationalist, borderline authoritarian type of governing that is focusing on and really cultivating white grievance. And this is something that has been an under underbelly inside the Republican Party for over 50 years that a lot of people have been in denial about. Um, Kim is right about the fact that Republicans have not engaged voters in inner cities and, and minority voters enough over the last 50 years. But it's beyond that. It's beyond just engagement and messaging. Its policies have not been taken into consideration and properly engaged with people of color to explain why the conservative policy approach is actually more beneficial. There's been a decision over the, since the Southern strategy, really, and the whole law and order. Campaign. I was going to say, right out of the, I was going to say, Tara, right out of the Lee Atwater playbook, it doesn't seem yeah. like the party's moved on from it. They haven't. They're completely uninterested in really investing in making these neighborhoods and making and, and explaining to minority communities why conservatism or the Republicans are present a better uh, present a better way of life uh, and governing. They've decided not to. What is your response to Tara's positioning um, as a longtime Republican? I don't see what she says. I guess uh, you know I see the media being very divisive. Um, you know, Fox, CNN, MSNBC, I feel like they go back and forth. It's usually tit for tat on both sides. And then also, I mean, if you look at President Trump, and he's been in office for four years, right now you have the most black Republicans running for office in history. So why are black people running in this office, running for office as Republicans, uh, to hopefully work with an administration that is supposedly so racist? You say in that viral video that black lives matter. And I appreciate you saying that. What I find interesting is your support for President, President Trump, and a Vice President, President Pence, who refused to say those exact words. So can you reconcile that for me, Kim? Why can you say Black Lives Matter? And, and I believe you and take you at your word that you mean that, but this president or his VP will, will not even utter the words. Well, I don't, I don't know why people don't utter certain words. I'm not their mother. I, I don't know. But I can tell you, for me, I work with Gerard Smith. I've brought community leaders to the White House in January. We've gone over why Easterwood, Sandtown, and other neighborhoods that are predominantly black, low income in Baltimore, why were they left out of the Opportunity Zone map? And that map was drawn by local leaders. So we're doing everything we can on the federal level to make sure we get businesses and whatever they need in these underserved communities. That's what I'm here doing. I am for black okay. people. If people don't like Trump, that's fine, but Trump's administration is here to help us, and I'm gonna do what's right for Baltimore. Donald Trump doesn't give a damn about people in Baltimore or in these opportunity zones. Jerron does. I've known Jerron for a long time, and it's his heart and his passion to help African-Americans succeed in this country in various ways through public service. The reality is a lot of the tax breaks and tax incentives that are associated with these opportunity zones, they don't go to people that look like you, me, or Tara. They go to well-established, deep-pocketed, white financial institutions and business uh, entities. That's the reality, that they are getting temporary tax breaks to set up shop in black or otherwise impoverished neighborhoods, gentrify them or do whatever else to, to, to earn revenue, and then they are really reaping the fiscal rewards in a way that is disproportionate than what is being rewarded to black folks. So even the Opportunity Zone talking point falls on deaf ears. Th th those are some facts, Kim. All right, Kimberly, Tara, listen, difficult conversation, but I want to thank you for your perspectives on these important issues. Okay, we're going to take a quick break. And when we return, 
Jason Carter, he's back and he's joining for this week's Black Excellence and Entertainment. We've got more Revolt Black News after this. All right, welcome back to Revolt Black News. Now it's time to get into Black Excellence and Entertainment. And this week he's back, my dear friend and journalist, Jason Carter. What's up, Jay? Ebony, uh, so good to be here with you again this week. Yes, lots happening in the world of Black Excellence. Let's get to it. Let's get to it. Listen, I was geeked, still am geeked, for this next Versus installment. The internet went on fire, Jason. The R&B queens of our generation, Brandy and Monica, mm-hmm. facing off this Monday. How excited are we? We are over the moon about this, and here's why, Ebony. This is 90s R&B princess nostalgia realness, right? Summer of 98, yes. both Brandy and Monica dropped two of the most incredible R&B albums, Brandy's Never Say Never, Monica's The Boy's, Man, Boy's Mind, both being multi-platinum. This is the one that people are waiting for, so it's going to be good. Uh, my money's on Monica, though. My money's on Monica. Oh, for I'll, real? I'll leave that there. <laughs> yeah. Okay, put 20 on it, because I'm going to put 20 on on Princess Brandy. I do love the little bit of cattiness, the fact that for the promotional flyer, both Brandy and Monica have their respective versions where their name comes first. It's 1998, and I love it. Okay, so listen, and more music news. Big Sean, he's announced that he's dropping his fifth studio album called Detroit 2 on September 4th. Now, the news came earlier this week when he also revealed the cover art. Listen, I love Big Sean. Are we here for this, Jason? We're here for this, and here's why, Ebony, because when you have artists who are rap artists and, and athletes are the original influencers, right? They get people to subscribe mm-hmm. to their movement. Big Sean is is making sure that his hometown of Detroit is getting some love. And when you have artists who pull from their most visceral, organic experiences of their hometowns and the, and the streets they drove and the places they hung out, when you take it back home and you get really real with it, that's when you have the gems. That's when the music is so incredibly Mm -hmm. good. And that's what we're gonna get with this LP from Big Sean. I totally agree, Jay. Listen, it's gonna be so pure. Like you said, one of the things I love about Big Sean is how vulnerable he is. He's truly been transparent Mm -hmm. about his journey. He talks about his his battles with anxiety and depression and how he overcomes it. So I already know this Detroit uh, 2 is is gonna be bomb. And Nike dropped a commercial honoring the late, great Kobe Bryant. It was narrated and written by Kendrick Lamar and directed by Melina Matsukas. The piece came the same week that would have been the Black Mamba's 42nd birthday. And listen, Jason, the culture came with all of the rightful birthday love for Kobe. They did. They did. Uh, Nike gets it right every single time when it comes to paying homage to its black athletes, its exalted black athletes. And this was so powerful. But this is also in alignment with what Nike does when they're putting out visuals. They're compelling. They're factual. They tell the story and they know how to hit you right where it matters. And Kobe's mama mentality is something that is very relevant right now, Ebony. I think it's awesome. Mm. Nike gets it right every single time. Listen, I think Kobe Bryant is one of those athletes that for me, Jason, I don't even think I fully appreciate it until he left the game because then you really see the value of his impact and you see how him stepping into the the bravado of I'm the best and I'm going to be better than the best. Like, it's an Mm -hmm. epic mindset that I totally agree with you, Jay. The culture um, receives and resonates. And listen, Mm -hmm. what can we expect? Kobe Bryant... um, a Virgo at its finest. I, too, am a Virgo. Jason Carter, Virgo season. 
my brother is here. Happy birthday, Kobe. He does, he does, he deserves to be exalted posthumously. Congrats on an order for Garcelle Bouvet. Now that she is joining the ladies over at The Real as their brand new co-host, Bouvet along with Lonnie Love, Jeannie Mai, and Adrian Houghton are all gonna return for the seventh season premiere on September 21st. Jason, I gotta tell you, uh, a lot of people surprised uh, that uh, Garcelle is joining the show, but I'm extremely excited. How about you? I'm not surprised at all because listen, Garcelle Beauvais is a um, Gbo. Gbo is a professional, and she's damn good television. I mean, she's been in bed with Fox oh, before, yes. hosting the show Hollywood Today Live back in 2016, and this is this isn't her first stint in daytime television. And another awesome thing about this is that you are having a woman that's um, not in the coveted demographic. Sure, we had Amanda Seals. Sure, we had Tamar Braxton. But now we're going to get a whole new uh, flavor in the buffet that I think audiences are going to love. And plus, she's fancy from the Jamie Foxx show. Okay? Listen, she's been coming to always. America. Black royalty. Black royalty. And she slayed on the Housewives. I mean, it's, it's the perfect storm. We're here for this. I was gonna say, I'm really here for it. Like you said, folks, actually many people sleep on Garcelle Bouvet. Garcelle has been working, honey. And I can't wait to see her join this table at The Real and, and interface um, with these other queens. All right, Oscar-winning director Steve McQueen, his new film, Mangrove, it's set to open the BFI London Film Festival in October. Now it tells the story of the Mangrove Nine. That's a group of black activists who clashed with London. The film tells the story of police in 1970 during a protest, and it led to a highly anticipated trial. Now, we know Steve McQueen delivers epic cinema. Jason Carter, mm -hmm. what do we feel? This movie, which will be able to be streamed on Amazon when it comes here, in the, when it bows for the United States, is... Um, so relevant, so timely as to what we're experiencing now. Much like the Stonewall riots a year before, people of a culture are tired of being abused, being killed, being uh, mistreated by police. And who is pairing up with Alistair Sidden, who has an incredible way of bringing to life visuals in a more nuanced way? It's going to be a, vision, a, vi a visual masterpiece in the making. I'm excited to see it. Indeed, and Jason, how perfect is the timing, right? All the things right. you said, a people saying enough is enough, we are tired, we are revolting, we are having an right. uprising. It perfectly parallels to this moment we're in right now, Jason, where black people in America have said enough is enough, and we mm -hmm. are walking into our moment of empowerment. So I'm excited right. to see this film, and I think it's perfectly timed. All right, last but not least, Blitz Bazawule, the co-director of Beyonce's aesthetic phenomenon, of course, I'm talking about Black is King, will be directing Warner Brothers' reimagining of The Color Purple. Now, Oprah Winfrey, Quincy Jones, and Steven Spielberg are just some of the musical film's producers. Um, that sounds like Hollywood royalty right there. Quincy Jones, Spielberg, and Oprah Winfrey. Jason, I mean, I can't even imagine, right? Ebony, I have to say that growing up as a young boy, my mom sat me and my twin brother down and we watched the original um, movie with Whoopi and Oprah and Margaret Avery. And never before in my life had, have I still been as moved by a motion picture than as The Color Purple. So to have it reimagined with a younger genius. Bazawule is a genius. And to be heralded by Oprah, to be celebrated by Quincy, to be sought out by Steven Spielberg, we're in for something that's going to be special. Brilliant, brilliant, brilliant. I mean, it was so epic, Jason. Do you know there are people still mad right now today in 2020 at Danny Glover uh, for <laughs> the things he said to Seeley? Exactly. Um, so I'm here for it. <laughs> exactly. I'm here for it. I think that, that it's important, Jason, oh, seriously, that 
we honor right these things that just right. epically yes. changed our culture and this generation deserves to see it and i'm so glad they're going to get to all right jason you know how we feel about you here at revolt black news thank you so much for making black excellence and entertainment so amazing as you always do and we're going to take a quick break and we've got more revolt black news after this earlier today we heard the beginning of the preamble to the constitution of the united states we the people it's a very eloquent beginning. But when that document was completed on the 17th of September in 1787, I was not included in that we the people. I felt somehow for many years that George Washington and Alexander Hamilton just left me out by mistake. But through the process of amendment, interpretation and court decision, I have finally been included in we the people. So now we acknowledge, we celebrate, and we thank all of the black women today who use their voices to rewrite politics as we know it. Because of them, Washington looks better and blacker. Shirley Chisholm was the first African-American woman elected to Congress in the late 60s. She also was the first woman and the first African-American to mount a serious candidacy for the presidency of the United States of America. I am here to represent the struggle that has gone on for 300 or more years, a struggle to be recognized as citizens in a country in which we were born. On behalf of the Leadership Conference on Civil Rights, that we will be with you in the struggle for equality and justice until we create an America in which there is peace, justice, freedom, and equality, and respect for every human being. This is our country. Our foremothers and our forefathers shed their blood to build and defend this democracy. The pain of black and brown folks has been delegitimized since the beginning of time. I am sick and tired of being sick and tired. When we convene people together, that's what makes our city great. This has been the people's campaign from day one. But we are united by the fundamental belief that every human being is of infinite worth, deserving of compassion, dignity, and respect. Welcome back to Revolt Black News. Now we're living in unprecedented times. There's so much change needed, but there's also a lot of change already taking place. Like the fact that there's a black woman VP nominee. But we know this didn't just happen overnight. See, black women in politics have been putting in that work for years. So here to discuss that evolution, Congresswoman Karen Bass of California's 37th District. Congresswoman, welcome back to the show. Thank you. Thanks for having me on. You wear so many hats, Congresswoman. You're also the chair of the Congressional Black Caucus. Tell me a little bit about um, your work uh, as that leader. Of course, one of the founding members of the CBC, Shirley Chisholm. Uh, we're hearing her name so much, rightfully so, right in this moment uh, where she was uh, very much the, the entree point for our, this moment to have a Kamala Harris VP. Do you think the Congressional Black Caucus, A, are they being adequately heard by the larger kind of body politic? And do you even think the CBC is doing all that it can in this moment to amplify black women? 
we are a force to be contended with and everyone knows that. And that's why after George Floyd's murder, Speaker Pelosi asked the Congressional Black Caucus, me with two hats, one chairing the cause, but I also chair the committee where the legislation would come through, which is the, the crime subcommittee in judiciary, asking the Congressional Black Caucus to take the lead. I think that is a perfect example of the power that we have within the broader Democratic Caucus. In terms of the CBC and black women, absolutely. I mean, black women have served as chairs of the CBC and also chair full committee. So some of our most powerful members in the House, Representative Barbara Lee, who was a part of top leadership, Representative Maxine Waters, who chairs the finance committee, Eddie Bernice Johnson, who chairs the science and technology committee. So black women are playing a huge role. Shirley Chisholm, I'm sure the first woman, the first black woman to run for president is smiling down from heaven, knowing that Kamala Harris will be the next vice president. So uh, listen, Congresswoman, anybody paying attention sees as you are speaking, black women politically in this moment, uh, really changing the game from Kamala Harris uh, across the board. But I can't imagine it's always been this way, so to speak. I have to imagine throughout your time in public office from California state politics to now federal politics, there has to be some kind of arc, a learning curve. Can you share a little bit about what you've learned, what you've seen improve, and maybe what the opportunities for continued improvement look like for black women interested in going into politics? It is so important to have women in general uh, in Congress because we tend to lead different, we tend to serve differently, we raise different issues, and we tend to be far more welcoming and collaborative. And so one of the mm. things that you certainly see in the Congressional Black Caucus, male or female, is a collaboration and a family uh, spirit. To women that are interested in running, especially black women, now there are so many organizations that you can connect up to who will teach you how to run. And so I would just mm. encourage women, number one, to get involved in one of the many organizations, Emerge, Emily's List. I mean, there's a lot of organizations that work with women candidates. But even more important than that, take root in a community and take root in some issues. Because if you just want to run for office just because you want to be in office, then I worry about that. Because I don't know if you will really serve our people. If you are serious about certain issues, then I would have more confidence that you will come and actually focus on serving the people. Because being in office can be so overwhelming. If you don't have a focus, if you don't have an agenda, if you don't have a purpose and goals, and you actually know why you're there, you'll just get caught up in the whirlwind. And it might be nice for your own individual career. But I think Again, as a black woman, it should never be just about my own individual career. It's about what can I do for my people? Congresswoman Karen Bass, uh, thank you so much for your time. Thank you for coming back on Revolt Black News uh, and, and informing and educating us. We appreciate you and your service. Thank you, Congresswoman. Thank you. Okay, now earlier we had the Republican perspective of the RNC convention thus far, but now we want to get the other side of the dialogue. We're gonna take the conversation to what does the black agenda need, regardless of what side of the aisle you're on. So joining us is host of Woke AF and co-host of the podcast, Democracy-ish, Danielle Moody. Also with us is co-chair of Our Black Party, Dr. Wes Bellamy. Thank you to you both. Let's just start from jump. Uh, night one of the RNC convention saw more black faces than we typically see from the Republicans. Tim Scott, Herschel Walker, 
uh, Democratic Democratic Congressman, rather, Vernon Jones from Georgia and the congressional candidate from Baltimore, Ms. Kimberly Klasik. That's more black faces than we typically see from the Republicans. Danielle, what was your impression? I mean, my impression is that they are there for window dressing. They are there to make white people feel good about themselves and that they are not racist and they are not associated with a known racist. Just because you have black faces in white spaces does not mean that that is inclusion and they should know better. Frankly, they should know better to then be, allow themselves to be used as pawns in a larger white supremacy game. Mm, okay, Dr. West, bringing you in here. Now, she just drug your fraternity brother for filth, okay? <laughs> Vernon Jones was a Kappa made at North Carolina Central University. Um, Dr. West, <laughs> what, what is your take? Do you Are you going to defend this brother? What what you got? Well, well, I will say this. One, my sister Dominique, her points are extremely valid. I learned very on that regardless of our political affiliation or our fraternal affiliation, black people have to be put first. And clearly mm -hmm. what Vernon Jones did, in my personal opinion, was put his people second. Dr. West, if black folks could have one or two agenda items passed through the next administration, what would you like them to be? I would think first and foremost, you would have to look at economic equity and ensuring that our folks have the opportunity to build wealth. And then 1A, because I wouldn't even say a second, 1A would be revamping the criminal justice system. I think at a bare minimum, every black civic organization should get on board with getting rid of qualified immunity. We see very firmly that police officers and individuals who are of the law enforcement persuasion will shoot, kill, harm black men, black women, black trans folk, black people. As long as your, your mm -hmm. skin, the color of your skin is dark, you are at risk in terms of being harmed with very little retribution for those who mm -hmm. hold a badge or wear a badge. Danielle, what about you? If, if you had one or two political agenda items for black folks specifically, what would they be? I think that we, we need serious criminal justice reform. We need also for folks that are coming out of prison to be officially reinstated with their voting rights. Right. We had this is this has been the way to disenfranchise our community, to silence our community by having people ratchet up charges. Right. Ratchet. We've seen this over and over again. Black person, white person commit the same crime. And we see the sentences not look the same at all. We see them get misdemeanors. We see us get federal charges, which means that we are then absent from the electoral system. We are disappeared completely. There's some black voters that are still undecided. Okay, there's also some black voters that are saying, um, I'm gonna sit this out because I really don't see a difference between Trump or Biden or, or you know, Kamala Harris is a cop. And, and that narrative is out there. Uh, what is your message to the undecided black voter in this election? This is not a time to have debate about whether or not you should vote. There's just, they, mm. they are killing us, actively killing us. They are using policy and police to actively kill us. The way that we get a foothold in this system is to get off of the sidelines, to get in the voting booth, or to mail in their vote as soon as possible, okay? Like October. Let's not think if you mm. are mailing it in that the election is November. It is not, okay? You see what is happening mm. to the Postal Service. So, you know, we can save these arguments, these very purposeful policy debates after Biden and Harris inauguration. <laughs> then we can, we can be open up for debate. But until then, I need mm. every single black person that is eligible to vote, to vote. 
All right, Danielle, Dr. West, thank you both for your time and for your insight. So today we spent a lot of time talking about how crucial voting is to obtaining justice in this country. But we have to have a better understanding as to what casting our black vote means in terms of black suffrage history. So I want to direct y'all's attention to a website. Go to blackvoter.co. It's a platform that awakens, renews, and educates the pride and self-esteem of being a black voter. That's right. Casting our vote shouldn't be up for question or debate. All we got to do is show up and show out. Simple as that. Because, y'all, there are so many other people and forces working actively, aggressively to suppress our vote already. So we don't need to be the ones suppressing it ourselves. Now, if you're unsure as to whether or not you're registered to vote or you have other questions, please go to blackvoter.co. It's got all the resources there to answer your questions and help you cast your vote. Because it's not only your right to vote, it's your responsibility. That's right. This is a responsibility to our people and our community. And it's not about Republican or Democrat. It's just a black thing, y'all. I'll say it again. Exercising your right to vote has to become a part of the black experience because our very lives depend on it. For Revolt Black News, I'm Ebony K. Williams. See you next time.